Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 35 of Popcorn Hangover. I'm John. And I'm Anna. And today we are going to be moving on to our second movie of Jingle Season, which is the 1990 classic Home Alone. Yay! (laughs) But before we get into that, we're going to, we actually have a big news week. A lot of stuff has been happening in the movie industry. But before we get to that, we're going to talk about stuff we've watched because we both watched a lot of stuff this week. I know that... I'll start with stuff we watched together. We watched The Mandalorian, which I thought was the best episode. It's getting good, guys. It's getting really good, but there's only two episodes left, which I'm a little sad about. Uh, we watched Elf for the first time of the Christmas season. <laughs> I guess the only time of the Christmas season. Yeah, I probably won't watch it again. What do you you watched Trading Places? I watched Trading Places for the first time. Hilarious movie. Good dose of Eddie Murphy and Dan Aykroyd. And I've been really making progress with community. And I would just like to say, if you guys are all following my journey with this sitcom, <laughs> I truly believe it is one of the smartest comedies of the 2000s. Or 2000, yeah, 2000s. I mean, because it started right, I think it started into, I don't know. I think it's one of the smartest comedies. It is really good at playing on classic sitcom and movie tropes. Um, and I just, you know, as the, the more you get into it, the deeper you get into it, the better it gets. So I really recommend it. I also watched the kind of the trendy thing. It's been going around on social media. There's this 11 long minute video on Netflix. It's not technically a movie, but it's supposedly like the saddest thing that's been put out in the last year on Netflix. I watched it. I can't remember the name off the top of my head. It's like If Something Happens, I Love You or something. I I don't remember what it's called. It's an animated movie. It was sad, but it wasn't like this over... People are like... But didn't you cry? Your sister said you cried. A little bit, but people make it seem like you lose the will to live after listening to it or after watching it. Yeah, John's tried to get me to watch it. I'm... I mean, it's, it's, it's like beautiful animation and it's a cool story, but it's like... We'll see. There's a lot of hype. We'll see if I watch it. Yeah. It, I, I don't know if I need a good... I guess if there, there will come a time, I may need a good cry, and then maybe I'll watch it. Yeah. But other than that, I haven't really watched that much stuff this week. I don't know really what I was doing and what media I was consuming, but I was not watching TV. So... <laughs> oh, well. But let's move on to the week in movie news, because there honestly is a lot of stuff that was going on, and... Really, it was one thing happened that might cause a lot of ripple effects. So let's talk about that to start off. So last week, Warner Brothers announced that they will be doing something very monumental in the world of movie releasing. And that is that their entire 2021 slate of movies will be released simultaneously to theaters and to HBO Max. Now, it's going to be under the same arrangement that Wonder Woman is, where it's going to be on HBO Max for 31 days. And then it's going to go to other video-on-demand platforms like Amazon Prime Video, Google Play, iTunes, if you still rent movies through iTunes. But it'll stay in theaters. So this is kind of leading to a lot of other things, but let's start with this. Theater chains, are they've had a very mixed response. Yeah, I mean, AMC, the owner of AMC came out um, and said that he wasn't happy about it, that it's going to like hurt their business. Especially when that there's a you know a vaccine around the corner that they should be doing this, which I really disagree with because we really don't know. I mean, the vaccine number one hasn't been approved yet. It should, but by the time this gets approved, by the time it gets rolled out to 
certain, you know, groups, we're not going to have, we're not going to go back to normal, go back to being in movie theaters, like truly, until, you know, best case scenario this summer. I Late summer, yeah. honestly. And so, in my opinion, I don't think that Warner Brothers is, is intentionally trying to do this. I think they, they need to do this because, yeah. like we've said on the, this podcast many times, I don't believe that these production studios can just keep waiting and pushing back their slates because then 2021 and 2022 are going to be jam-packed and it's not only going to hurt other studios, but it's going to hurt them. It's not going to help anybody with these studios yeah. competing for time when there's a, a huge release every single weekend. Yeah, It's not going to work. So the thing is they need to get these movies that they've been sitting on out of... They need to get out yeah. of the gate. So... An important thing with this arrangement, like figures aren't final, but as kind of a compromise, Warner is going to relinquish a bigger share of their profits from the stuff that's released in theaters. So AMC is going to get a larger cut of the pie for the stuff that plays in AMC. But the fear is that because not that many people are going to theaters, that it doesn't matter if they get a bigger piece of the pie because the pie is just not that big. Here's the thing. If you were never someone that went to the movies... If HBO Max didn't have Wonder Woman, you wouldn't go and watch Wonder Woman in theaters. Correct. You were never going to. So I don't really think that they're they're taking up the market. Yes, they're taking people who are like us, who are moviegoers, but we don't feel safe right now to go, yeah. or there's no theaters open in our area. Yeah. But it's not taking away a market of people. Like if I if we could go to the movies right now and a movie like Wonder Woman 1984 came out on HBO Max, I would rather see it in theaters. I would rather go yes. to the movies and have an experience, see it on the big screen, you know, maybe see it in Dolby or IMAX. Like, that's mm-hmm. something you want to do. I really don't think that it matters to these... You know, it's not. it doesn't make a big difference, especially in the time of, of coronavirus. Yeah. Now, one... So, one last thing before we kind of transition away, but um, Warner has said that this is just a one-year thing, mm-hmm. but I do think that a lot of this reaction from the major theater chains of 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 hesitance is that there's no, there's nothing that says this isn't just a one-year. Well, thing. Well, I'm sure they're worried that it's gonna that, I mean, that they're they're worried Warner's gonna be successful, and yeah. that they're just gonna say, well, we don't need you anymore because I, I mean it hurts me to say this, and I don't think it's gonna happen in our lifetime, but the theater industry is dying. Movie theater attendance is on the downward trend. They have massive overhead for profit margins that aren't that big if people aren't buying food. And people's at home. I mean, a TV, a good yeah. a good TV, a large ass TV is yeah. really not that expensive anymore. Yeah. And so people don't really care about seeing it. I, you know, I mean, correct. we get the, there is like an, there, there is an atmosphere. There is yeah. pros to seeing it in theaters, but like the average person if they don't go with the movies and they really don't care about the movies, like, they don't need to. They're like, yeah, I can watch it at home. I'm fine with that. Mm-hmm. And it's something that I get completely why the operators are very hesitant about this. But just so everyone is kind and of it's aware. it's the same thing that happened with the music industry. It's going to be it's yeah. the same thing that's going to happen with every industry. Yeah. Um, just so everyone is aware and, like, kind of provide context for the gravity of this. So w- this is just a few films that Warner has coming out next year. Um, the Suicide Squad, which the first one made almost $900 million. Um, the Matrix 4, which is a revival of a franchise that had pretty good box office returns. Um, In the Heights, which is expected to make a lot of money. Uh, Space, Jam, a new ne- uh, uh, Space Jam, A New Legacy, which is LeBron James. It's supposed to make a lot of money. 
Godzilla versus Kong, which make is supposed to make a lot of money. Sorry, okay, we I got my... it. We get it. And then finally, Dune, which is a crapshoot because no one knows if that's gonna make money or not. <laughs> but before we move on to our next topic, if you were, if you had your choice, which of these do you want to see in theaters? Of just those things, because those, those are all pretty big movies. Um, I would definitely say Suicide Squad, The Matrix, and um, Dune. I do not care about Godzilla vs. Kong. I will yeah, never I don't see either. that. I will never see it. I have no interest. The one I find... So, for me, I agree with the ones in theaters. I think I'd like to see In the Heights in theaters just because musicals with, like, really loud well, sound yeah, it's are fun. good. Like, I mean, we I've seen so many musicals yeah. in theaters, and it's a fun experience, but it's not like I it's need to. It's not like a must-watch. I can watch that at home and have a good time. And the, the other one is Space Jam. I could care less about seeing Space Jam in theaters because... No. Yeah, I don't It's going to be schlocky as hell. Like, that movie's not going to be good. Yes. But, but we'll even see... We don't even know... I mean, being in Chicago... We don't even know when uh, or if our movie theaters are going to open back up. Yeah, because none of ours are open right no. now. I can't even go. We can't even go to Schaumburg or like go to the far suburbs yeah. to go see them. They're all shut down. And it's probably going to be that way for a few months. Yeah. So moving on to our next thing, Disney. So the day this episode comes out, if you're listening on December 10th, they have an earnings call this afternoon. And there are a lot of rumors swirling around from industry insiders that Disney is going to be pushing a lot more of their releases to Disney Plus for 2021 and that they will be announcing that this afternoon. Um, so apologies that we're like eight hours too early on this, but um, you're anyone can tune into those. You, you just have to look up online like Disney earnings call. They're very interesting to, to listen to. We will be live tweeting, or John will be live tweeting. I did the last one. On I, our on our um, Twitter. So if you really are interested in knowing what's going on and you don't want to listen to the earnings call yourself, yeah. check us out on Twitter. Usually the way it goes is the first 45 minutes, they drop all their nuggets and then all the analysts from banks get on and ask like their boring questions about like, this segment is less profitable than last quarter. Like why? But they'll drop a ton of nuggets on content. And then in lockstep with that, there is a Marvel presentation that is scheduled for Friday, December 11th, so the day after this podcast comes out, and there are also rumors swirling with that that they're going to announce another slate of Disney Plus Marvel shows, and they might be shaking up the Marvel Cinematic Universe release order. So nothing, there's no concrete things to speculate on, but we should be getting a lot of Disney-centric news in the next two days. Be exciting. Yeah, big time exciting. But let's transition away from things that are coming out to something that's been out for 30 years crazy and that is home alone <laughs> so everyone knows that home alone isn't everyone most people's christmas rotation yeah. i would say i think you know people that are like millennials are obsessed with this movie it's like ingrained in their heads but we decided to do this because we were talking about christmas movies that we both love and home alone is not really on my list but you don't hate it necessarily i don't I don't hate it, but I really just don't get the hype, and I don't mm-hmm. think it's all that great as everyone else makes it out to be, and I feel like maybe that's part of the reason why I don't care for it so much is because people make such... Like, when I told you that I really didn't care, you're like, oh my gosh, we have to watch... Like, it's it's always this big thing with people. I, I just don't feel it being a, a Christmas classic, in my opinion, mm-hmm. but I know it is for you. Yeah, I think it's a really good, I think it's a very interesting study on, like, what a 1990s Christmas movie was, because this is one of the first ones, and it is a very big shift from what they were in, like, the 70s and 80s. 
in the sense that like it is a family movie but this movie like showed how big of a box office hit a christmas movie can be oh I mean, yes. we're gonna talk about this movie broke the mold for christmas box office returns yeah i mean i I will not deny that this movie was groundbreaking. It holds world records, or it held a world record for for yeah, twenty seven I mean, years. Um, but I, I personally just don't like the first time you see it. You know, if, you know, I don't mm-hmm. know. I just don't get it as much as other people well, are obsessed. And you've said, and you said it last week, that you like Home Alone two much more than Home Alone one, or just more. More. I was listening to our podcast from last week, and I don't, I should take back that I shouldn't have said that I love number two, because I really have not seen either of these movies before yesterday Um, in maybe 10 years. Mm-hmm. I can't remember the last time I watched them. I remember them vividly. Like, I know exactly, I knew exactly how the story went. Yeah. I know exactly how the story goes in Home Alone 2. Mm-hmm. They're pretty A to B stories. They're not really complicated. No. But I think if I had to choose between the two of them, like who, you know, Anna, which one do you want to watch? I'd rather watch Home Alone 2. Mm-hmm. I think the story, they get to the story quicker. They really do. Yeah. I think that the, I, I think that's a product of it being a sequel though. Yeah. Because we've already established that like something very ridiculous can happen mm-hmm. around this kid. So it's not that hard for it to happen again. Yeah. Because like, we've already seen it. You don't have to intro all of this stuff, like the family dynamic and that. But let's do the synopsis because there's a lot of really interesting things around this movie and not the story itself. So Home Alone is a 1990 movie written by John Hughes and directed by Christopher Columbus. Um, if you don't know Christopher Columbus, he created or he was the director of the first two Harry Potter movies. He's a really accomplished like children's movie actor. Family. Yeah, fa- family movies. Sorry, not children. You always mix up child, Ch- yeah. like kids movies and family movies. Behind that brain trust, Home Alone is a 1990 Christmas comedy film starring Macaulay Culkin, Joe Pesci, Daniel Stern, Catherine O'Hara, and John Hurd. When Kevin McAllister is left behind by his family in Chicago when they fly to Paris for Christmas, Kevin must defend his home from the Wet Bandits, two burglars who are looking to have a very profitable holiday season. It has a 68, or sorry, a 65 critic score on Rotten Tomatoes and an 80 audience. It grossed $477 million on an $18 million budget. And you had referenced this earlier, but it it was the largest grossing live action comedy movie ever until The Hangover Part 2 eclipsed it in 2011. No, that's not what I was talking about. I can tell you the stat I'm thinking of. It was a world record holder for more than 25 years. It's opening weekend it made 17 million dollars um in 1200 theaters and it maintained its number one spot for a full 12 weeks and remained in the top 10 until june of the following year wow it became the highest grossing film of 1990 and it earned a guinness world record for being the highest grossing live action comedy ever domestically it held on to that title for 27 years until a chinese blockbuster in 2017 never say die knocked it out of the top spot Wow. Crazy. So I do have I do have another piece of trivia. Mm-hmm. Macaulay Culkin was only cast in this movie because uh, John Hughes thought so highly of him after shooting Uncle Buck, he had to beg Christopher Columbus to cast him in this movie because he's like, it won't work without him. Well, he wrote it for him. Yeah, he did write it for him. But initially, I guess Christopher Columbus was a little hesitant to use him. And it took John Hughes basically begging him 
and being like, you need, you just need to put him in this movie. So I found that to be very interesting. There's another piece of trivia I want to hang on to, though, until we get to that part of the movie, because I think it's another fascinating piece of well, trivia. Well, another thing about the box office okay. thing, I want to say, also, I didn't know this, but apparently screenwriters and other people in the movie business, it's now a verb to say your movie was home alone, um, which means that it's like a new phrase in Hollywood, which was uh, meaning that other films suffered at the box office because of Home Alone's long and successful run that was not anticipated. Wow. So, um... Do they have other movies that have been Home alone on that list? No, they didn't really say, but I guess, like, someone in, in a book called Who Killed um, Hollywood, they talked about, like, a William Goldman, like, talked about how, like, that's what's something they would say in Hollywood. So that's crazy. I mean... It, it was like a big, you know, it made a, it, it was a big deal. And I agree with that. I mean, it is a big deal. And I think maybe that's why it's just such, you know, for some reason, this movie really resonated with audiences mm-hmm. back then and now, still now. I think starting with things that the movie does really well, I, it, it captures that hectic nature of the holidays and family that the beginning like 20 minutes or whatever it is before the family actually leaves it captures that too many people in one house that just everything is a mess i mean anybody who comes from i mean it doesn't have to be a big family but anybody who has a family i would say can find something that their family does exactly Mm -hmm. the same from the pizza from like the siblings talking to each other the way they from, talk to each from other from being forced like someone draws the short end of the stick and he has to sleep with someone that yeah. that they don't want to in this case it's fuller because he wets the bed like we've all we've or almost all of it we've almost all had an experience like that where there's just too many people in one house yeah it's chaos maybe you weren't left behind when your family's going <laughs> to france but we've all had something where someone is forgotten and i think too it's also you know showcases like being a kid and like what's important to you as a kid like you know what's the dream of being home alone Mm -hmm. i think they do that very well too you know you're you know watching movies all day having pizza having mac and cheese and pizza and and a huge bowl of ice cream for dinner like that's the dream yeah sleeping in your parents bed like having the whole house to yourself and also like the first time you are home alone where like you're scared of stuff that is like mm-hmm. very i mean his the basement, na- the basement the basement i mean furnace. i'm still afraid of the basement when i'm home alone i'm like run upstairs real quick because i'm like <laughs> someone's gonna try and kill me down there <laughs> i think the other thing that really sticks out about this is how like simple i mean this is all john hughes stuff but how simple the sets are how you know, grounded in reality. It has a, yeah, I think, like we've talked about before, we just talked about John Hughes movies, so it's interesting. Um, But I do think that why John Hughes movies are so lovable and why no one has been able to replicate this, you know, I, I think why it's they're so impactful mm-hmm. and they still have this, you know, there's The Breakfast Club, this, Planes, Trains, Automobiles, Uncle Buck, like all these movies are so impactful because of the simplicity, just like the yeah. beautiful simplicity that this, that he brings as a filmmaker from the storyline, from the characters, from the sets, from everything. It's just simple. Yeah. It's simple and it makes sense and it's endearing. Now, even though you're not a tremendous fan of this movie, do you think that people from Chicago 
tend to like John Hughes movies a little bit more yes, than especially outside. Especially this movie. Even more, in my opinion, than Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Okay. I think that people from Chicago are obsessed with this movie. I've never gone to the damn house. See, what's I, every person so, in high school went to this house. So what's messed up? I've never been to the house. I have I, no desire. But I don't I, care. So for some reason, I know the address. It's, yes. It's six. It's 671 Lincoln. I know it's on Lincoln Avenue. I know it's or in Winnetka. Or 617. I don't know. It's one of those two. It, I know the combo, though. Everybody in high school, I know. I remember the day like my friends went to go see the house. I did not go. But I. everyone always wanted to go to the house. Everyone's been to the house. I, I just... It's a little bit annoying, in fact. Yeah. Like how much people are obsessed with this movie that are from Chicago? Do you do you think, before we talk specifics about the movie, do you think this is the most iconic house in a movie? Like, do you think if you if you picked if you picked movie homes and you showed people pictures mm-hmm. that this one would stick out the most? Of real real homes, not yeah. not fake ones. Because I think the answer might be yes. I don't know. I mean, yes, but also like Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Uh, what's his name's house? Cameron. Cameron's house. See, I can't picture. I can't picture the front of that house. I can picture the back when the car falls out of it, but I, mean, I, I can't can picture see, like, the... the whole side of the house. In my mind, I don't know. I mean, I would say yes. This is a pretty recognizable home. It's the perfect. You know, it's the whatever he says, the crown jewel like of that street and yeah. all this stuff. So. I, I think piggyback, huge. Picking, piggybacking off that question, though, too, do you think this would, like, you would hate to live in this house, right? In real life? With in, pit, no, with... I would never. I would never live in that house. The amount of people, like, they, the people that just Someone... sold it for $1.5 million, they left because there were people trespassing so much. I was going to say, someone has definitely tried to break into this house. No, yeah, they they have had, I mean, there's there was, like, when they were selling this house, they talked about in the news that... The problem with it is that there's so many tourists. There's tourist attraction. Yeah. There's so many people that come and are tourists of this house that, like, they're basically trespassing. It's not like, you know, there's these other large houses and, like, there's these other celebrities that have these houses. But they this house doesn't have, like... Well, the, the difference with, like, celebrity homes and stuff is a lot of times they have security. Yeah. This is just a... Like, people live here. It's on a block. It doesn't have a huge gate or something that so people can't... No, no, there's a big gate Oh, there's now. a big gate? Okay, so it's see, huge. I don't know. I, I looked it up yesterday because I was like, they have to have one, but, but they can't gate the entire property. No. I mean, it's, it's just a gate going to the driveway, so you can't go in the yard, but you can, like, walk up to their front door. Yeah, it's weird. It's weird to me. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, well, let's get into I've the I've never movie. had the desire, like, you know, there's these people who go on, there's, like, a John Hughes tour, yeah. and you could go to the, you know, Ferris's house, you can go to Cameron's house, you can go to, um... You can go to the both... The high school for, bre- for the breakfast club. You can go to both Home Alone churches, because they use a different inside and outside. Yeah, it, it's crazy. You can look it up if you really want to go. <laughs> Yeah, but let's move on to the movie itself, because I'm sure there are people who are kind of wanting us to talk about the movie now. Yes, yeah, sorry. And not architecture, but uh, I'm going to start with you. Like, where do you, what do you, what's like the first thing in the movie that catches your eye or like a topic? Because I, I can talk about pretty much anything from this movie. A few questions. Okay. Are the McAllisters bad parents? That's a good question. In my opinion, they're not bad parents i but that's in the first movie when it comes to the second movie the yes, second movie they're bad parents bad parents so let's you talk, can't lose that kid twice i think to to talk about this it's a good place to start with how they lost kevin 
Mm-hmm. So the night before they leave, they spill milk all over the passports and the tickets. If you look, one ticket gets thrown in the trash. I did not see that. So it's very subtle, but one ticket gets thrown in the trash. So when they get to the airport, they only have 10 tickets instead of 11. Well, also, and they ask her to... To count the to kids. count the kids. That's the second one. Because their asshole neighbor is, like, digging through their stuff. I mean, everyone had a neighbor kid like that that would always be like, hey, what you doing? Where are you guys going? Didn't you not have a neighbor kid like that? I mean, maybe I was the neighbor kid like that. I don't know. <laughs> but But so when... Kevin's cousin or sister, I don't know who she is. It doesn't matter. I think it's his cousin. When when she's counting all the kids, she accidentally counts the neighbor because he looks like Kevin from behind. So I don't think in this one that they're bad parents, especially because the the power went out and they woke up late and they had to get to the airport real fast. I don't think they were bad necessarily. I think it's that, that hecticness of travel that we've all experienced where you're running yeah. late. And also, this is pre-9-11, so it is a little more fast-paced. You... You, know, you can you get really... through security really quickly. Yes. But I just still have a hard time. Like, I mean, obviously, it's a fictional movie. I'm not saying that I needed to believe it. But I think that's just a good question to start. I'm like, are they bad parents? Also, Catherine O'Hara looks basically the same. Like, mm-hmm. if she wasn't, like, wearing ridiculous makeup like she does in Shit's Creek, like, she looks great. I have a bone to pick with the internet. There has been a trend going around on TikTok this last week where people who are Gen Z are finding out that Catherine O'Hara is the same person in Schitt's Creek and in Home Alone. Also, And any- that makes me so disappointed. Well, I just think this is a problem with, I mean, if we want to go into this, I can go into this so much. I think it's a problem with, like, Gen Z or, like, younger people realizing the whole, one of the facts that Schitt's Creek got so popular was because it was from, like, from Catherine O'Hara and Eugene Levy. Like, they were... They were Canadian. They are Canadian yeah. gold. Like yeah. they, they did all these things together. And so when people are like, "Oh my God, that's the mom from Home Alone." She isn't just that. She was a Canadian. Yeah. She was a big Canadian actress. They mm-hmm. loved her. They love her there. <laughs> they love her here now. And, and same with Eugene Levy. I mean, yeah. I've seen to a lesser extent people been like, "Oh, that's the dad from American Pie," and it's like, well, Eugene Levy's in like twelve thousand things. <laughs> so. Yeah, that's just a small bone I have to pick. You're right. She has not aged a day. <laughs> and, like, she's fantastic. And I think to answer, like, her portrayal of Mrs. McAllister. She's a great mom. That's the she's thing. such a. I don't think you, you feel can bad say, for her. You want you want yeah. them to succeed. You're like, oh, she, she seems like you can see your mom in her, which I think yeah. is a good thing. And I don't think you can say definitively that she's a bad parent because she she's willing to do anything to get home to see her her son including doing some very like annoying things like like traveling with that polka band and you know all all this stuff like i don't think she's a bad mom and no. i think that she she is one of the best parts of this movie i think another thing i have to say is macaulay culkin the things that kevin McAllister does these two burglars would not have survived. The if you actually look at what as he gets a they get BB guns to the head, they fall, they have they're concussed multiple times. He they lights would have, his head on fire. They would have fractures. They would have to get like tr- there's one that I read that's something about like getting a transplant, like an organ transplant. Yeah, like I mean when he steps, I mean I think that's the most egregious, the most oh, egre- the, nail? the most oh. egregious thing in this movie is the nail. Him stepping on the nail and the fact that they let you watch that. I mean they do that in 
a silent in, in a quiet in a place. quiet place. Yeah, they do the as exact horror. Same. Have you? Uh, excuse me. So slight sidetrack. Have you ever seen the internet edit of Home Alone cut as a horror movie as a horror trailer? Yeah. Really good stuff, and also not that off the thing. There's also a Reddit theory that Kevin McAllister grows up to be a serial killer, yeah. and I can entertain that. So it's kind of funny. Does that make you think about what audiences like? They love torture and like they love torture posed as humor. They love a 10-year-old boy torturing well, adults as humor. Just think so about that. Just think about if we're just going to take this as the like a deadpan extreme. deadpan like that's what yeah. it is. I mean, potentially it's I don't know. I I I want to <laughs> I want to kind of piggyback off that though and say why this works. I think <laughs> I think that the way that Joe Pesci and Daniel Stern portray being fooled by this kid is why it works. I mean, yeah, I don't dumb. think it, I don't think it works without those two actors. Oh my gosh, and Joe Pesci, I mean, I Joe read, Pesci didn't want to do this movie. So I read this that Joe Pesci like got really into character and at one point he like said he was like I'm going to bite all your fingers and toes off like to uh Macaulay Culkin and he actually bit him like in a take and he cut the skin and Macaulay Culkin has a scar. Really? Because Joe Pesci was and then also Joe Pesci had a problem of saying the f bomb. Yeah, okay. And I've they kept heard, trying to I've tell him that. not to do it. And he kept saying it. But um, who's the other actor? Daniel Stern. He said shit when he <laughs> stepped on the ornaments. Yeah. And they kept it because okay. it was so good. I have I have always wondered those ornaments are those real glass? No, they're candy. They are. Yeah. That is interesting. But I mean, it still hurts. Still sharp. He, and also medical examiners have said that that's probably the least, that's the least of his worries of all the things that happened to them. Well, he, he definitely could get tetanus from the nail. I mean, I would say the BB gun shots to the head and the groin. The the BB shots not breaking skin is Yes. Um, and the nail and also the multiple concussions of hitting their head from falling oh, on oil. I mean, oil. He, he had an iron hit on his head oh the my paint God. can i mean the, it's it's horrific like this kid kevin kevin is a horrible little kid he's a sadist he is <laughs> i mean he he like wanted them to break in well he said That's, like this is my house i have to protect it my my theory is that kevin intended for this to happen i don't think so because multiple times he tried to show that his family was home he said when he was doing his when he was putting the ornaments on the tree he was like dad can you come here he never but he knew that they were coming back counterpoint he made an entire plan that he drew out in yes crammed. because he knew they were coming i know i i know he knew and i'm i'm defending kevin here i i understand this I'm, is weird i'm just i think another really interesting thing that this movie does well and it's a very small thing but you know how, like, every kid or every... Let's go grade school. Every grade school, like, there's always, like, rumors about something. They do that so well with the neighbor and the oh. shovel about the the South Bend... Uh, I forget what they call him, but that he murdered someone with a shovel and that he, like, came his to the family. neighborhood. He murdered his family with a shovel and then he came to their neighborhood to hide. Yeah. Because they didn't have enough evidence. Everyone can relate to that because there's always a rumor that, like, someone died in your school or whatever. Your neighbor is, yeah. Or crazy. your neighbor is like a wanted felon um, or something. But I actually this is another fun fact. That was not originally in the script. So number 1, um John Hughes wrote this script in less than 10 days. 
really? He had this idea after Jeez. Uncle Buck and um, when, and basically it came from Uncle Buck when Macaulay Culkin is interrogating that babysitter through yeah. the, which is like such a good scene. Yeah. I like Macaulay Culkin way better in, in Uncle Buck than I do in this movie, <laughs> in my opinion. But it's, he got that idea from that. That's why Macaulay Culkin had to play Kevin McAllister. And so he wrote the script in less than 10 days while he was traveling and um, in the script originally, there was no old man, mm-hmm. but then Christopher Columbus pushed it because he felt that there needed to be some kind of sentimental value yeah. to the movie, which I agree with. I would hate, this movie would be even less on my list if there was no that, because yeah. I think what's the my favorite parts of the movie, number one, is when he finds out, he's like, I wish my, like, my family disappeared yeah. because I wish they would disappear. And at first, he's really exciting, excited about that. He, you know, he's like, oh my gosh, I have a whole, you know, you don't have any siblings, you don't have any annoying people, you know, parents tell you what to do, all that stuff. And then the sweetest part, my favorite part is when he goes to the church mm-hmm. and he prays and he says, like, God, if you, or no, he, before he goes to church, he goes and he talks to Santa and he yeah. says, if you can make an, ex- if you can make it happen, can you make sure my family comes back and, and maybe my uncle. <laughs> And I, I think, hold on, before you continue, I think the funniest line of the entire movie is when he's like, I know, I know how it works. I know you're not Santa, <laughs> yeah. but you work for him. I mean, that is the cutest, that's, in my opinion, the cutest Macaulay Culkin scene. Like, I, I don't find, I know a lot of people are like, oh my god, he's so cute, he's the greatest, like, such a good child actor. That is where I fall in love with Kevin McAllister. Mm-hmm. No other time. I think that is the cutest, most innocent, sweetest thing that mm-hmm. a child can do. And then he goes to church and he talked that's when he finally talks to the neighbor and i think that that adds the best part of this movie i mean obviously you get those kind of feelings of like family's important from things that kevin and things that uh mrs McAllister do but when he talks about you know the importance of family and then kevin just as a innocent child just says just talk to your son Mm -hmm. you'll never know and i just think it's such a beautiful message so thank you christopher columbus (laughs) <laughs> for putting that in the movie, well, making so sure that gets there. A big question I have is if if he's not in the movie, I wonder how it ends then because his neighbor's the one who ultimately, like, s- not saves him fully, but his neighbor hits the wet bandits with a shovel when they're about to, like, kill him. Yeah. Or torture him. I don't know. So I wonder what the original ending of the movie was going to be with Kevin getting out of it. I mean, it was probably, it. like, maybe his parent getting his parents getting there or his mom Possibly. getting there right in the dead of the... And in all honesty, I fell asleep for a bit because I was a little bored <laughs> during the torturing. And yeah. And I think I woke up right when that happened and I kind of forgot about it. Gotcha. I, yeah, I just, uh, it takes forever to get to the climax of this movie. You gotta watch him go to the grocery store so many damn times. Yeah. So <laughs> I think that's a, I have two really big things I want to talk about, but because you mentioned the grocery store and the repetitiveness, I do want to talk about my main concern with the movie and and what I don't love. So I think there's a lot of really good iconic scenes in this movie, but I do think that it suffers from repeating things a time or two too much. The first thing is that the movie that he watches where it's got the keep the change of filthy animals, he plays that in this one like three times. It's not even a real movie. Did you know that? It's made for this. Yes. Um, I did know that, but I didn't know that. It, <laughs> they, was real. they do like the exact same thing like three times where with the gunshots well, and everything i think that's more so because i mean when you were a kid didn't you have a movie you're obsessed with that you knew every yeah. single line to that you would watch every but single day it's more so that they just do the same they use it in the same way 
I don't mind that. I I do agree with you, the repetitiveness. I mean, I don't know if sorry, well, did you want to continue? I had two more. Okay. I had two more. Uh, the second one is going shopping or to the grocery store too many times. <laughs> and then the third one. How does he run out of detergent? There's just some things he buys. It wasn't even detergent. It was fabric softener. <laughs> I have a theory that that was just to get product placement in the movie for Tide. I'm like pretty I mean, I also sure think it's supposed that. to be like that whole like he's a little man yeah. kind of thing. Um, but then the third thing that they repeat is the iconic him slapping his face with aftershave. They do it twice. You don't need to do it twice. Wait, so I don't understand. Why does he always scream in the mirror? Because it's alcohol. It's, it hurts his skin. Oh. The aftershave. So aftershave, after um, you shave your face, you sometimes get like little micro cuts. And that's to, to sanitize and also make your face smell so good. So do you scream? No, because I don't. No, because I don't use aftershave. That's not like that's like a very '90s thing too. That's not a. Okay. That's not really a. See, thing. I never. I just thought it was a yeah, thing he did hurts. every morning. I asked you why you kept <laughs> screaming, and you didn't say why. You just said I don't know. No, that's that's why. Okay. Um. Um. But other than that, I don't really have a lot of issues with this movie. It's just the repetitive nature. Yeah. So, like that's the thing is I think that goes to the simplicity of the script, which is a little even more. This movie there's a little, is a little padding. More simplistic than other John Hughes movies, but I do have an issue with. I said this before. Obviously, not that I know that this came from Uncle Buck and that's where he got the idea from, but a lot of things remind me that he's basically making Little Ferris. Yeah. And especially when he makes the you know the scene of all the people inside Mm -hmm. the way he like looks straight at the camera multiple times the way he talks to yeah says things and so i'm not like faulting that but i just and i'm sure that i think this happens a lot in john hughes movies that's just yeah i think that's just his style his style but it's it was a little bit distracting for me i'm like yeah basically this is ferris bueller but as a 10 year old yeah, I can see those criticisms. I, I really can. I don't know how much more you had to talk about, but I have two, or it's like three interesting things. I'm basically done. Okay. One, there's some really good trivia relating to the snow in this movie. I told you this yesterday, but I'm going to say this for all of our listeners. Most of this movie was not shot in the winter, which means that the snow was fake. The snow was actually potato flakes. Not all of it, though. Not all of it. So some, a portion of it was potato flakes. And Joe Pesci, I believe, had gone on record and said that there were there was one day they were filming where it was, like, hot, and it just smelled terrible. Because, like, it's like these potatoes just heating up in the warm sun. They also created their own fake snow out of, I don't even know what it was, but they gave it to the Lyric Opera after and they have used it in multiple productions since. I think they still like really? use it. Yeah. Um, another interesting thing. So there was, there's a few scenes that have real snow, but the biggest one is when Kevin's mom comes home. They were waiting for the perfect day to film the reunion scene. And they basically had all of the actors that were going to be in scenes for that particular day just on standby. And they just were waiting for a snow day. And they got like the perfect one. And it gave them, like, the perfect shots. And I guess they did it in, like, three takes. So it was, like, a pretty quick thing and all the stars aligned. The more interesting thing, like, and this is the big thing I want to talk about before okay. we're done, relates to John Candy in this movie. So this piece of trivia I have, and that is John Candy was only available for one day to film his scenes. And... John Hughes, he knew it was going to be a small role, but they had to film all of that in one day because it just was with his schedule. John Candy was paid $414 to shoot for 23 hours. 
So they filmed like all day and night, his scenes. Because he did this movie as a favor to John Hughes, he was the only actor allowed to go off script. Not a single one of his lines was scripted. (laughs) It was all improv. The other interesting thing about this part is even though it was for one day, John Candy felt that he had deserved more money for it, and it caused like a rift between him and John Hughes, one of like the directors that he worked with extensively. Yeah. So it kind of tarnished a friendship, even though it was like one of the most iconic roles from this movie. It's kind of weird watching after Plane Trains and Automobiles. He's the same character. It's based on the same character. They told him to be the same character. (laughs) Yeah, but just his own lines. Uh, Also, as with all John Hughes movies, all of the airport scenes are the same airport. It's all O'Hare. It doesn't matter where they are. They just went to different terminals. I mean, everything was filmed in Chicago. Yeah. Land area. Yeah. So let's get to our ratings. We've talked enough about Home Alone, our opinions, and the fun facts. Mm -hmm. John, what do you give this movie? I give this a 93. (laughs) I, I love this movie. I think it is... It's one of my favorite Christmas movies, that's all. I originally... Okay, I'm going to go with a 68. Not it's, surprising. It is... I'm not going to say mediocre. It's just average for me. I don't feel... I didn't feel a sense of... like I don't feel any warm feelings when I watch it. I don't get giddy thinking about it i just think okay that's home alone cool got it i didn't really laugh that much if you remembered <laughs> i was thinking about that <laughs> i really didn't laugh much i'm sorry and i feel bad and i don't know about why i feel bad i just feel like i'm disappointing people by having this opinion but i just wonder if there's other people like that out there like that feel the same way that i do that it's just not i have no i have no connection <laughs> I'm okay with you saying that. I kind of wish we would have also watched Home Alone 2 because there's something very relevant to us. Kevin McAllister, like people have said, is the the original podcaster. In the second movie, he like records people saying stuff and then mm-hmm. plays it back, which is like weird that they're like 30 years ahead of their time on that. But I'm okay with you saying that because I know that they're... It's not everyone's cup of tea. Yeah. So... I may be the only one, but we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> Let us know, guys, what you feel. Are you on my side? Are you on John's side? <laughs> Mostly John's, probably. But that's Home Alone, and you can't really talk about Home Alone without the fact of Macaulay Culkin being a child star. I mean, this is... I mean, Macaulay Culkin, if you're going to talk about a child, a quintessential child star, it's Macaulay Culkin. Like, if, you th- if I have to tell you, like, okay, what's the first child star you think of? Yeah, it's Macaulay Culkin. So, with that in mind, this week our top five is top five child actors. They don't have to be failed child actors. No. As a lot of them are. Oh, I wouldn't say failed. I would say fizzled up. Yeah. They didn't fail. No, no, They did their job. They did it well. They were memorable. For a short amount of time. (laughs) But they just never... And, you know, some people that's by choice. Some people that is, you know, other factors that went into Mm -hmm. it. And some just didn't really get acting jobs after that. But that's okay. Yeah, it happens. I don't see them any differently. Yeah. But our list is not fizzled. It is just top five child actors. They could have fizzled. They could have gone on to successful careers. (laughs) Um, But that's our list for this week. So starting with you, Anna, do you have any honorable mentions? I do. I I was going between my my number five and my 
my t- honorable mention, but I'm I'm going to keep it how it was because I feel like it's more what I believe and I'm not going to go with, you know, mm-hmm. what I think people want me to say. Yeah. Um, but Abigail Breslin was six years old when she starred in Little Miss Sunshine. I didn't even think about her being that young. I've only seen that movie once. I will not watch it again. Mm-hmm. But her performance was phenomenal. And it really did put her on the map. Um, and since then, she's been in, you know, various projects. She was really big when she was a kid, though. Yeah. So big. So I really do think she was a great child actress, especially being in that serious of a movie um, and being so impactful at six years old. Yeah. Crazy. I don't have any honorable mentions. There were a lot of actors and actresses that I know were big child stars, but I haven't seen like their iconic child work, so I just didn't feel comfortable um, putting them mm-hmm. in consideration. So I don't have any, but there were a ton of names that popped off the page. Oh, yeah. I learned a lot of people were child actors. Like Today, it was shocking. I learned Christian Bale was a child actor. I did not know yeah, that. Yeah, we hadn't seen Empire of the, of the Sun. Sun. Same thing, Like I've never seen... And I agree with you. There was stuff like I've never seen Taxi Driver, so I've never yeah. like seen Jodie Foster's you know iconic performance. Um, there's been a, you know there's a yeah. couple more like I and and I was debating. I was trying to stay away from TV, so I didn't include like Mary Kate and Ashley. I didn't include they were in they were in movies, but they're known more so for their TV work as yeah. kids. Um, I didn't include Neil Patrick Harris. Like, there's a lot of people that just... I mean, yeah, if you want to... If you go into TV, it's even harder. I mean, like, the Savage Brothers. Um, I mean, you Fred could Savage go... was close to me. Yeah. But, but it's like one, ro- like one role, Yeah, I think, really. I think all... We have the same kind of concept of this, is that it's like they, there's one role that really made them um, get on the map for us. Yeah. Yeah, and hopefully... I think I wrote down with mine what the roles are, but yeah. maybe I didn't. Okay, so... Okay. Wait, did you go? Wait, I said number five. You said number five. No, no, no. You, you did honorable mentions. Oh, we I have not done any. Okay, <laughs> sorry. Never mind. What's your number five? Okay, my number five is Lindsay Lohan. Uh, she, I, her breakout role was like eleven. I think we settled on when she was in the Parent Trap. Mm-hmm. Uh, Anna was kind of surprised by her being on my list, but I am surprised. But, I think that's more. It seems like that'd be more likely for me to put her on my list. It but. does, but if you think about like in our age, everyone watched the Parent Trap. Doesn't matter, boy, girl. Like, everyone watched it. I mean, everyone it. loved Lindsay Lohan. Yeah. She was the it girl. Yeah. And I actually, I have, did I tell you that one day, I don't even know why this started, I was thinking about Lindsay Lohan, and I went into, like, a Wikipedia rabbit hole Ooh. and just read about all the things that happened to her, and then, like, what she's been doing lately, and she's been in a lot of these, like, erotica movies. Oh, Like, really? independent erotica. Hmm. Interesting. I read the synopsis for one of them weird but she it's crazy where her life went Lindsay Lindsay lohan is probably i guess i have one more the closest to a fizzle on my list because she like she's fallen off the face of the earth not i mean she has those nightclubs true true <laughs> but in terms of acting oh like, yeah she's I mean, not i i mean if you think of like a casting director i don't know and where she Lindsay... also really has she could be a failed actress because i read and i'm like a big i really liked her but i was reading about her that day that I couldn't, I was, it was up to like 2 a.m. and I just kept going downhill. Oh, I was, I was thinking about Tina Fey. I was watching, I was watching, I know what I did. Okay, here, this is what <laughs> happened. I was watching Parks and Rec, so then I le- looked up Amy Poehler, and then I went into Tina Fey, and then I went into Mean Girls, and then I went into Lindsay Lohan. That's what happened. But yeah. I was reading that 
all of the there was a bunch of projects that like Lindsay Lohan was on. There was all these studios that also wanted her to be in things because mm-hmm. she is honestly people did say like, she was a pretty talented actress. Yeah, um, she wasn't the best child actor per se, but she's a pretty talented and very charismatic actress. Mm-hmm. But she was really hard to work with in her twenties, and like when she got that older, surprise me that at like all. she she wouldn't even like they didn't even finish projects because of how awful she was to work with. Uh, my last thought on Lindsay Lohan is. For some reason, she feels like an actress who would have been in one of the Transformers movies and never was. She feels like the most likely Transformers girl that never was a Transformers girl. That's it. Okay, that's an interesting thought. (laughs) Do you disagree? I don't know. (laughs) I really don't know how to take that. Uh, Okay, my number five. Again, I really struggled with this because I did want to go with just movies, but in my opinion, like this actress really is the child actress of our decade or of our time and it's millie bobby brown yeah watching stranger things i would never have guessed that she was 12 years old the Mm -hmm. maturity the depth to her that she gives to 11 Mm -hmm. you know and all those child actors specifically that first season i think that i think that first season the best acting she's ever done and i haven't seen like other movies and things she's really been in too much but I cannot believe she is only 16, and yeah. I, and all of those child actors on that show are good, but when you see her act with them, there's no question. You just, yeah. she blows everyone out of the water, and mm-hmm. sometimes even the adults. I think that she is amazing. We have seen, we haven't even seen the best that's yet to come with her, and she is one of the most influential 16-year-olds today. Like, yeah. pre, she was one of the most influential pre-teens, like, ever, so... Yeah. But I have heard that she's not very nice. I've heard that too. I've heard that she's got a big ego. Yeah, but I'm sure. If you're, you're a world, Honestly, who can blame her? Like a potential world class actress. I so. mean, how many awards was she? She was nominated for over like twenty something awards, and she has nine awards from Stranger Things. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's crazy. She was mm-hmm. twelve. Yeah. Moving on to my number four, it is Drew Barrymore, who started acting at seven. I love. I love that you have Drew Barrymore. I really wanted to get her on my list, but I couldn't. I Someone else kicked her off, and I'll tell you once I get to it. Okay. I, it was between her and this other um, child actress. But I do think that, yeah, that performance of e- E.T. If she was not in E.T., she wouldn't be, like, the lovable, like, yeah. girl that she is today. And, like, I think she's definitely an arc that a well, bunch of child actresses well, and actors have done. And she's just, she's maintained this, like, wholesome yeah. arc throughout her entire career. And, like a lot of reasons that child actors and actresses fizzle is because they have a bad circle around them and drew barrymore like you can clearly tell just has like really good people looking out for her interests like whoever whoever her agent family friends were as a kid like really looked out for her because drew barrymore just has always just been this wholesome actress who is just delightful in anything she's in (laughs) yes i agree i think yeah it's definitely that arc that has taken her like to success from that from starting at age seven to now. Is Drew Barrymore like actively in movies that she, often? No, she has a um, a talk show, kind of like Ellen. It's like okay. right before Ellen, Drew Barrymore show. Gotcha. I did not know that. Yeah. Same like a daytime talk show. I feel yeah. like she could at any point though just hop into a oh, movie. Yeah. So for sure. My number four is another current child actor, um, Roman Griffin David. Oh, uh, he he. I wanted to put him on my list, but he's only been in one movie. That kid's going to be a star. I mean, he uh, like was nominated superstar. for Golden Globe and Oscar. Yeah. At age 
11 or 12 is when he... Yeah. He's 13. I think he's current. He's 13. He's 13 now, but he was nominated for something that he acted in while he was 11 slash 12. I think he, like, turned 12 during the movie. But his performance is believable. And Jojo Rabbit, by the way. And Jojo, sorry. I'm... Yes. Um, He was Jojo and Jojo Rabbit. He is believable. He's gut-wrenching at points. Like, it... So wholesome. So beautiful. I think, again, like, and I really wanted my, the way my thinking was for number four and number five are two child stars that I believe are going to be the next big thing. And it's rumored that he's supposed to play uh, Kevin McAllister in the Home Alone spinoff. I've seen that. I've seen that. So I think that's interesting. So I do want to say one thing about Roman Griffin Davis, and I don't think this is hyperbole. In Jojo Rabbit, that might be the best child performance I've ever seen. It's it's that good. Mm-hmm. And if you have not seen that movie still, you should watch it. I mean, not many kids get nominated for best... So, was he... No. He was, was he lead? Yes. Yeah. Best actor. He got nominated for best actor yeah. in a comedy. Yeah. But... But, I, I mean, he's incredible, and I'd be surprised oh, if he's not Oh, that was the Golden Globe, sorry. For actual Oscar, best actor. Yeah. <laughs> Moving on to number three. My number three is Macaulay Culkin. His portrayal as Kevin McAllister is iconic. Here's my problem with this. I'd like to just give a rebuttal when you're done with McCa- about putting Macaulay Culkin. Well, so he had two major movies that made a ton of money mm-hmm. in Home Alone 1 and Home Alone 2. And then he also was in Uncle Buck, even younger than when he was in Home Alone. And did you know his family had like a very public, very nasty dispute? Um, his mom and his dad, they got divorced about over his earnings. No. Yeah, I did I not that. know that. I read that. I don't know all the whole story. I just read I just skimmed it. Um the problem I have with Macaulay Culkin is and I won't I won't argue with you like I said if you're going to think of a child actor that's yeah. definitely fizzled out, that's probably number 1 and also another one that's probably on both of our lists. Um there's two of them in my mind, but the problem with him is he this role was written for him. It's him in a kid. Yeah, but I don't think you can knock someone for that. I just feel like it's an easy role to play because you're playing yourself, basically. Yeah, but you still have to do it in an engaging way. I know. I'm just, that's my rebuttal. I just, I'm not saying you're wrong for putting it on there, but I would just like to say, like, that's why he's not on my list because I was thinking about that. But then when I found out that this is specifically because he, like, liked him, like, how he was, that it's just kind of like you're just playing, it's like John Candy just playing John Candy. It's like, you know. Yeah, but I, I think at some point, every actor or actress gets typecast a bit. And for Macaulay Culkin, it just happened really young. Yeah. It happened super young. But that's, I think that's why his his career didn't really go further, because he just played this type of thing. Well, and I, I think, too, with Macaulay Culkin and why he's on my list is, he's someone that I root for. I mean, he has very publicly had a lot of problems in his personal life, but he has just he's always been just a very likable person to me and someone who I just root success for. Yeah. That, that's it. I, I really like Macaulay Culkin. I'm glad. He reminds me of someone else who now I'm realizing probably could have been on my list, but I've never <laughs> seen anything when he was really young. Okay. I'll keep that. So that's your number three? That's my number three. My number three is Kirsten Dunst. That is the person that beat out um, Drew Barrymore. Really? <laughs> yes, because Interview with a Vampire. Never seen it. Oh, my God. She plays, I mean, okay, so number one, she's 11. That's the first film she was ever in. Yeah. She's 11, or I think, I think first film, but her breakout role, I I guess. 
she's 11, she plays a vamp, a child vampire that is, like, four, like, she's 30 or, like, 40. Like, she's been alive for a really long mm-hmm. time, so she's an old soul and a small and child. And a young body, yeah. And she was nominated. Not many movies about vampires get nominated for awards, mm-hmm. let me tell you. She was nominated for Best Supporting Actress. Wow. And she wholeheartedly deserved that role because she really did, I mean, she was believable in playing a child a, a woman, an adult that was stuck in a child's body, an old soul. Mm-hmm. Like, everyone would tell her, like, you can't do this, you can't do this, just a child. She's like, I'm, you know, no, I'm not. Mm-hmm. And she lived so many lifetimes. Great movie. I really like it. And it's a great performance. You'll have to watch it sometime. I haven't seen it in a long time, but I love her. And I love Kirsten Dunst and everything else she's done. She she also took, like, a good arc um, after her. I'm not a big fan of Kirsten Dunst. What? I think a lot of it is jaded on the fact that her and Tobey Maguire had the worst on-screen chemistry okay, I've ever seen for people who actually were dating. I know. Can we just get past that? Because if you get past, if you just don't include I Spider-Man. I haven't seen that much stuff with yeah, her in it, though. If you don't include Spider-Man in like, it's That's like so. my main exposure to Kirsten Dunst. Okay. So yes. But that's that my number mind. three. Okay. My number two is someone who took a role from his childhood all the way to adulthood, and that is Daniel Radcliffe. His casting as Harry Potter is one of the more recognizable things in the history of movies, and the fact that he and the rest of his cast did not turn out, like, messed up, or 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 they, they fit their roles. They're all very to, normal. And they didn't have to recast any of them. Except for the fact that Daniel Radcliffe, like, he, no he's one will really ever cast. He's in really weird stuff now. Well, because that's, because no one ever wants to cast him and stuff, so he's like, I'm going to be weird as hell. Yeah. And I, I admire him for I it. I mean, Daniel Radcliffe has enough money to never work again, and mm-hmm. I, yeah, but, like, the fact that he, he took a role that grew up as with him over the course of eight movies is just one of the more incredible things in Hollywood. Yeah. And I will always remember him as, like, was he a fantastic actor in the first couple of Harry Potter movies? No, he was okay. No, but you just, you see, I mean, I think with all three, with many of the kids in that film, but especially with the three main um, actor, you know, actors, you really see their growth Yeah. Um, as actors and like how you know they get better and better and so i mean i I think it's always a great thing to see yeah so he's my number two okay my number two is Haley joel osment Mm -hmm. the other which i would say if you were going to say like who who are the first two child actors you think of it's going to be macaulay culkin Haley joel osment so he's my number one so we can just talk about it at the same time okay i think the fact that uh, like i've listened to recent interviews with Haley joel osment he's in a show on hulu called future man that apparently is really good and really funny but he's another person, like, incredibly well-adjusted child actor, and his career has definitely not been super, I won't say successful, but it's yeah. been very average But I also then. don't think that he minds. Like he, I don't think he cares. He did, he did The Sixth Sense, he did Paid For, I mean, he was in everything for it a while. It is so, I'll, I'll have to find the interviews. Also, he's in, um, oh, one of my favorite movies, Secondhand Lions, like, he... He he was in everything. He was the child actor. I mean, Macaulay Culkin wasn't like, really in like everything. Like he, yeah. this kid was Haley in... Joel. Haley Joel Osment got work. Oh, all he worked. <laughs> so it is so interesting in modern interviews to hear him. It, whenever a new season of Future Man comes out, he does like the press tours and stuff, and everyone interviews him, and they always ask him about like growing up as an actor. And he talks about how he literally went to school and would shoot on the weekends. Like he was just a normal kid 
in regular school and he would just fly off to go film something and then come back to school and like hang out with his friends. And in my opinion, he he played very different roles and he also was very good at emotion. You could he you felt his yeah. emotions and they were very genuine. I really liked him as yeah, a kid. Yeah, and and he's just he's another guy and I think what makes it the people on my list are someone I root for. Like I root for Haley Joel Osment because whenever he pops up in something now, I'm like, I'm like, it's like very comforting. It's like, that's Haley Joel Osment. Like he's just an awesome, he just seems normal, you know, mm-hmm. which I appreciate out of actors because that's the goal is to make everything seem like real and not that they're acting. Yeah. <laughs> the best actors don't seem like they're acting. So yeah, I love Haley Joel Osment. Now my number one, I was just talking about her yesterday in my opinion, not it may not be the first person you think of when someone says child actor, but in my opinion, she is the best child actor of all time that ever will be on this planet. It's Shirley Temple. Yeah. Shirley Temple, let me just give you some facts. She started acting at the age of three. She was appeared in 29 movies. 29. Between the ages of three and ten. Seven years. What? And... She appeared in 14 from the age of 14 to 21, and she retired from film at the age of 22. Yep. And then she went on to have a successful life in politics and other things. She was in great movies like The Little Princess, Heidi, Curly Top, Little Colonel. Um, I could go on and on. My dad, um, I don't know if other people grew up watching Shirley Temple, but that was something my dad grew up watching, and so we bought all of, like, her collections on VHS, mm-hmm. and we'd watch them all the time. I love those films so much. She, in my opinion, is one of the most talented, if not the most talented child actor I've ever seen. Yeah. To this day. I mean, I, she's I from, can't the 30s, disagree with that. from the 30s, and you don't see a child actor that can do what she can do. I, I don't disagree with that at all um the main reason she wasn't on my list is because i knew that you were going to have her and talk about her yes i think that that she is a fascinating she was the okay this is what it is she died in 2014 yeah she was born in 1928 and she as an adult so she was an actress she retired from actor in 22 when she was 22 and then she served as the united states ambassador to ghana and czechoslovakia at czechoslovakia and then she served as the chief of protocol for the united states what? Yeah. Did she go to school for like law or something or like political science or like what what led her to this career path? I'm I'm fascinated. So y- your dad was telling us this stuff yesterday and I was so surprised cuz I'm like I did not know this. I just thought Shirley Temple was a child actor. Mhm. No. She did so much other stuff. I just feel and she's like immortalized in culture now. I mean, yeah. kids don't even haven't even seen Shirley Temple, but everybody knows what Shirley Temple looks like. Mhm. What she sounds like. What she sounds like. And everyone knows her drink. Although apparently I read on Wikipedia that she thought it was too sweet for her taste. So really? like, why was it called Shirley Temple? So it's funny. Interesting. Maybe just because it was a virgin drink and she was like basically 12 going on 20. Yeah. And so. Uh, okay. So hold on. You said she did how many films between three and 10? 27? Um, or 21? second. Let me find that again. Uh, she did 29 films between the ages of three and 10. Those are, that's crazy. So she was filming, she was filming four films a year? Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. Her peak, she started with, um, like, I think her big start was Bright Eyes. 
And then she had, like, Heidi, Curly Top, all these things. Then there was a lot of things that were made just for her, like, the littlest rebel, the Mm -hmm. little colonel, all that stuff. And the height of her career was The Little Princess, which was her first Technicolor film. Yeah. Um, And then, famously, she turned down um, her, her family. Her parents were really involved in, like, what she did and what she didn't do. Yeah. And so her parents turned down doing um, The Wizard of Oz because they thought that she needed to do more adult roles. Mm-hmm. And so that's when Judy Garland got the p- the job. I did not know that. So yeah. so she was choice number one. They wanted Shirley Temple. Wow. And I wonder, like, I wonder if she would have continued acting if she had done something like that. Well, she still had a career. I mean, her career continued for quite, for a couple years after that. It wasn't just Well, she stopped at that. the age of 22, right? Or 21? Yeah, 22. But I wonder if she had done something as iconic as The Wizard of Oz, if she would have, like, kept doing acting. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting what if, because it seems like she left on her own terms. Or her parents' terms. I think she kind of, she fizzled a bit. I mean, like, the things like her, that would, the peak of her career was Little Princess. Yeah. And then after that, her, her movies weren't making as much money. She also started making less of them, so she wasn't the big box office hit that she was. so, I guess my question still remains though like if she had been in wizard of oz like how massive that was yeah. maybe you know she's a bigger draw i don't know it, but it's interesting in my opinion like there's these other film you know these people that we talk about that fizzled she didn't fizzle she did yeah <laughs> over 40 films mm-hmm. and projects and then became an ambassador yeah. for the united states so i think that i mean she lived a wonderful life mm-hmm. crazy yeah. i and i definitely think you can make the argument the most iconic childhood actor oh, ever. Oh, I, I mean, yes. If we're going to talk, even if you want to say, like, what, there was a child actor that's better acting than her, I think that there's no child... Um, she was definitive, Not I even just say. actor. Like, there's no famous child more, you know, more recognizable than Shirley Temple. Mm-hmm. You don't even have to see a Shirley Temple movie to know who she is and what she's done. Yeah. Fully agree. So that was our lists of top five child actors let us know who we missed we know that there are there are a lot out there it was hard it was very difficult but i think honestly this is one of my favorite top fives we've done in a while i feel like it really sparked some fun conversation Mm -hmm. and it's interesting to know like what what our feelings were and what our reasonings what were it also jogged a lot of memories in my brain of stuff that i haven't seen in a long time and i'm like oh man i I want to go back and watch that um because it's a lot of stuff we watch as kids because you watch a lot of movies with child actors when you're young obviously Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) um so thank you everybody for listening if you are keeping up with jingle season next week is our grinch extravaganza we're going to be doing all three of the grinch movies gotta find some time to watch that we do. It's really two movies because, you know, the first one's 20 minutes long. So it's really two movies. And I'll but. be singing, you're a mean one, <laughs> Mr. Grinch. So that'll be a fun episode. And obviously we have more to come, uh, more Christmas things to come. But please, you know, give us a follow. We'll be, we have a lot of content coming up on our social media pages. Mm-hmm. So be sure to keep an eye out for that. And we are looking forward to the rest of Jingle Season. See you next time. Yep. Thanks. Bye. Who is it?
It's me, Snakes. I got the stuff. Leave it on that doorstep and get the hell out of here. All right, Johnny. But what about my money? What money? AC said you had some dough for me. That effect. How much do I owe you? AC said 10%. Too bad AC ain't in charge no more. What do you mean? Guys, I'm eating junk and watching rubbish. You better come out and stop me. He'll call you when he gets out. Hey, I tell you what I'm going to give you, Snakes. I'm going to give you to the count of 10 to get your ugly, yellow, no good keister off my property before I pump your guts full of lead. All right, Johnny, I'm sorry. I'm going. One, two, ten. <laughs> Keep the change, you filthy animal. <laughs> <laughs>